why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I mean, it's, I think that's part of me trying to go out and experience other things. But there's a, I know, I love playing football and I love being the quarterback for this team. And, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. Interesting to hear those words from Tom Brady, who at the time had three, I think he's up to six Super Bowl rings. Um, but even with all of that, to still be plagued by uh, that question, what's next? There's got to be more. I think of uh, the words of uh, comedian Jim Carrey when he wrote, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. In fact, interesting, Katy Perry wrote on uh, her Instagram, a million digital singles and still insecure. What's next? It's usually the question we ask when where we're going comes to a dead end. It's a question we ask when what we've accomplished doesn't seem to bring any greater sense of satisfaction or of direction. Uh, this morning, in our passage from Romans chapter 15, Paul gives us some guidance in this. He helps us to see What's next? Where to go that doesn't lead in dead ends? This morning, as we look at this passage, I want to give you a principle from the passage that answers the question as the passage fleshes it out for us. And the answer is this, if we can put that up there. Answering what's next is best answered by what matters most and what will always be who. Answering what's next is best answered by what matters most. And the what will always be who. And you can take that to the bank. Just think about it. If all that we seek to achieve is about the what stuff, is about uh, the where stuff. We either won't get there or it won't matter because it's just stuff. It's just things. It's the externals that can't fill the internal. It's only when what's next becomes what matters most and we understand that the what is a who. I want to just have you look for a second at the Ten Commandments. We're going to look at the first four, what we see here. 
and we have those on the slides. You shall have no God but God. You can just put them all up. That's fine. Two, you shall not worship any idols. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. You shall honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The first Ten Commandments. And when we talk about the Ten Commandments, the best way to interpret it isn't the rules that God gives um, so that um, you'll be good little people. Uh, basically, the Ten Commandments are God saying to us, if I were you, this is how I'd live. If I wanted a, a successful life, this is how I'd live. And as he gives the ten, the first four he begins with are not about what. The first four that he begins with is about who. He's saying, look, if you get it right, your relationship with me, then everything else will fall in place. If you understand that when it comes uh, to who, there's only one. And that when you relate to him, you relate to him only. It isn't him plus some other idol in your life. And that when you relate to him, you relate in a, in a manner that is reverent so that you don't miss a deeper intimacy with him. And when you relate to him, you understand that life isn't yours. He gives us one day a week to remember who we belong to. You see, going back to the principle, answering what's next is best answered by what matters most. And the what will always be who. Once we understand who matters most, he'll show us what to do next. And so let's flesh this out as we look at Romans uh, chapter 15. And we're going to be looking, starting at verse 14. Um, look what Paul says. I remember just going through this, studying it this week again, and, and I just, I, I found myself laughing at this. Paul says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct others. And I just back that up again. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competence. How many of us would say that about anybody? I'm convinced. I'm absolutely that, that you're, you're good. You are trustworthy. I can count on you all the time. You'll never, ever, ever betray me. I'm convinced that you are good. And not only that, I am convinced that, that you are smart. And I'm convinced that you're competent. Uh, good means that you have uh, strong moral character. Uh, knowledgeable means that, that you understand what matters most. And competent means that you know how to apply it. You know, I like you all, but am I willing to bet the farm on you? 
Am I willing to, I am convinced that you are the best, goodest, smartest, wisest. Well, of course I am. Just like you are with me, right? How does Paul say this? In fact, listen to this. How does Paul say this in light of what he said in Romans 3? If you could pull that up. Look what Paul says in Romans 3. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So what's, is Paul talking out of both sides of his mouth? I mean, at, one, at the beginning of Romans, he's saying, look, there's no one who's good. Uh, there's no one who seeks God. There's no one uh, who really cares. Uh, there's no one who does anything good. All of our good works, Paul says throughout Romans, are nothing but filthy rags. But then look what he says in 15 again. In 15, he, he writes, I'm convinced. You can go back to that. I'm convinced that you are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competence. Well, what's the deal? The deal is this. Before our salvation, there was no good thing in us. Before our salvation, we didn't care about God. Before our salvation, we, before God, were just as dumb as a bag of rocks. Before our salvation. What did salvation, when I say that, it's easy to say, well, wait, wait a minute. I did some good things. I know people who aren't saved who do some good things. But before God, they don't matter. In fact, the truth is, if we could get into their heads and their hearts, if we could step back into our own minds back before salvation, we would know that whatever we did was calculated. If we did something good, it was to look good or to feel good. If we did something good, we knew there was another motive behind it. And we calculated how much good we were going to do. We calculated how far we were going to go. But after salvation, the good becomes good because we do it unto God. We do it knowing, I don't want to do it. There's nothing in this for me. But God compels me to do it. His spirit and his love changes my heart. His spirit compels, nags, pushes, and gets me to do things that are good because I do them. In the name of Christ, for the good of others, knowing 
that my reward's already at hand. Knowing that he's already saved. I mean, think about it. Paul has been saying throughout Romans, you are justified by grace through faith. Paul is saying that once God has opened your heart and your mind, and once you receive him, you are secure forever. So if that's the case, then what do I care about doing good? I mean, if, if I'm secure, if I already have the gift, what do I care about doing good? What do I care about sharing with others? Well, the truth is, when I have that gift, that gift has me. And it produces fruit through me if I truly have it. Paul is saying that now something special has happened. The interesting thing about this, too, is Paul is writing to people he doesn't know. He's never met the Romans. But he's heard about them. He's heard about their struggles. He's heard about their questions. And not knowing them, but knowing that Christ is in them, he comes out and says this. You know the wonderful thing about the gospel of Christ? Is every day is good. And every day gets better. Because God produces in us through his spirit things that matter to him and even our messing up falls under his forgiveness but it is wonderful to see the good that God produces I um, went to the uh, Celtics uh, this past Sunday with Paul Bugsby, uh, Busby and some of you might know Paul's a uh, black gentleman who, a pretty good sized guy who sits um, uh, back here and um, if, you ever sh if, you've, if you've ever shaken Paul's hand, I mean, it'll crush you. Um, and Paul has uh, these great, great uh, tickets, um, center court, um, uh, uh, front row chair seats. I mean, they're just, you know. In fact, here's an irony for you, right? Paul's gone away for two months. He says to me, take my tickets. You know, go, go see whatever you want to see. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm the man. I got two tickets, center courts, on the floor for the Celtics. People will love me. They'll, they'll want to be my best friend. And then comes coronavirus. I have nothing. <laughs> That's my life story. Anyways. But I digress. When we were going through the Celtics building, uh, through the garden, people everywhere, and I'm not kidding you, I mean, from, from the, the, the parking people to uh, the people in, in the VIP uh, restaurant area and all, as we're walking, people are saying, hi, Paul, how you doing? I mean, everybody. We walked by the Celtics bench, people were saying, hey, Paul, he's one of these guys that, there, there's a goodness that flows from him. In fact, um, at one point we were waiting for the, we were in that VIP area and we were waiting for the traffic to die down. And there was this kind of a, what I call typical Bostonian, um, 
guy, nice guy. He apparently had season tickets too, and so he came up and he saw us and he gave Paul a hug and you know and and just started you know going off talking and I say typical Bostonian because every other word you can imagine what it was. I mean, and Paul is a class act. I mean, you know, I'm thinking. Yeah, Paul doesn't talk like this. And this guy's just, I mean, he's just roaring with this stuff, you know. And and telling jokes, but you know, and, and but every other word. And and I'm thinking, you know, I wonder what Paul's gonna do with this. Paul listened to him and you know and, and laughed and had a good time and, and the guy afterwards gave him a big hug and, and walked away and I and I thought, yeah, Paul will probably turn to me and say yeah, he does that a lot. He didn't. Didn't say anything to me. Paul just saw the good in this guy. Paul let the other stuff just bounce off of him. And I thought, yeah, I probably would have said, no, sorry, this guy's like that. I might have even said, excuse me, could you, could you not use that language around me? Because I'm special and you're not. All right? We love doing that. We love whipping out that superiority of righteousness that we think we have. Instead of just loving people, instead of just looking for the good, instead of enjoying the good things that are there, even though this guy wasn't a believer, Paul imputed goodness to him. Paul was willing to see what could be good. And Paul acted in a manner that was classy and really, I think, represented what the righteousness of Christ looks like. What salvation does for us what God does for us. As Paul's talking to these folks he's never met, he gives them an example of why the who determines what matters most and why what matters most determines what happens next with his own life. Look what we read. If we can switch uh, to the next slide, uh, one more. Because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentile, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel. Now, what is it that Paul's saying? First thing he says when it comes to his relationship with the who is he talks about my life. Because of the grace God gave me. My life has changed. Because of the grace God gave me, the who now matters. Because of that grace, I now can see and understand what he would have me to do. When you know him, and when you seek to listen to him, he will lead you. When you seek to do things his way and not yours, you'll hear him. 
Paul said, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, all of a sudden, things became clear for Paul. All of a sudden, he saw what he had to leverage. He was Jew, but he was Gentile. He was Jew, but he was a Roman citizen. All of a sudden, it, it just became obvious to Paul once he became a, precipit, a, of, uh, a participant of God's grace. It became obvious to him that God has set up my life in a very special way to minister to a very special people. He has set up my life in a way that Peter couldn't minister. He set up my life in a way that John couldn't minister. And so Paul heard God's voice. And it became clear to him God's directives. To leverage his life, his situation, who he was, and to share Christ in that. You want to know what's next? Just look for what matters most. And you'll know that by looking for who matters most. And in that, he will show you what you're to do in your life and your circumstances. I, I, I have to tell you, that it's gone that way in my life. I remember, you know, when God changed my life and I felt this sense to make a difference with people. So I went to school to be an attorney. I ran out of money. And so I became a police officer because I felt I want to serve. And yet in the midst of doing that, five, six years later, I felt this call to serve in a deeper way, to not just respond and put on Band-Aids but to try to transform. And in that, God, in the midst of it, also opened up for me and called me to an opportunity to, to reach, de reach deeper into people's hurts and, and to make a difference in the baseline of their lives. You see, it all makes sense when what next is connected to what matters most. And when we understand what matters most is really about who matters most. Paul said, it began with him in my life. He changed my life. His grace changed everything. His grace changed the way I see the world, the way I see myself, the way I see others. And I'm telling you, it's what matters most. Paul talks about his uh, life and then he goes on and talks about his offering. He says, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about my life. He talks about my offering. What's my offering? To minister, to take what he's given me and the ministry he's, he's put before me and to offer it up to him. To him, for him, not for myself. Each and every one of you have it. And I know there are some of you who are thinking, I, I don't know what God wants me to do. But let me ask you the question. 
Have you really asked what's next by asking what matters most? Knowing that the what is who. Have you really lived your life saying what matters most is God? And when I, when I get that, everything else will fall into place. Some of you have seen glimpses of it. Some of you have even seen uh, more than glimpses. But somehow the world distracts you and you get off path and the next thing you know you're, you're going back down a road that what's next is built around what the world says matters most. Paul says, my, my life, my new life in grace. Secondly, he says, my offering. I want to keep before me that one day I will have something to offer to God. That every day he will give me an offering to give back to him. What's the offering? It's people. It's what you do for people. Paul's offering was the Gentiles. It was people. Does God want you to become a better singer just so that you can have a crisper voice? No. If he wants you to become a better singer, it's so that people can hear words that matter. Whatever it is, it's an offering. I guarantee you it's people. It's people you work with. It's people you live with. It's your neighbors that you don't talk to. It's people. He talks about his, my life, my offering. The third, he says, my efforts. Look at verse 17. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders to the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem um, all, all the way along to Iconium, I have fully proclaim, <coughs> proclaimed the gospel of Christ. What's his effort? His effort first is for God's glory. That what he does, the world will see that God is glorified. Look, you, you know, you're coming here today. That was a part of the glory of God. That a group of believers said, even though I might be a little afraid, I'm not going to be afraid. When you show up here on Sundays, instead of say, staying in bed where it's nice and warm and you don't have to listen to me. That's the glory of God. Why do we do what we do? What, what is our efforts? Paul uses the word, my ambition. What's your ambition? It's to glorify God. I know what ha happens next comes from what matters most and the what is who because my job is to glorify him. Second, my ambition, my effort is not only to glorify him, but to benefit others. To make a difference in their lives. 
through the good deeds that I do. And when you go back to verse 14, notice when he says goodness and knowledge and competence. It's funny. You can't have knowledge without goodness first. You got to have love in order for anything you do to really be good. You can't be competent without having knowledge, but you can't have knowledge without having love in your heart. It's, it's the same thing. You can't live without grace, and grace pushes you to live in faith, and faith pushes you to live in love. Paul says, this is my life. This is, this is my offering. These are my efforts, my ambition. To see God glorified, to see others benefited, and to see the word expanded. One of the key functions in your life is the same function Paul and his. To speak the words of God. To speak the words of light in a, in a dark world. To speak the words of hope in a world of despair. Why is it so important for you to know the word of God? Why do we do Bible studies? Well, we're paying the pastor, got to get him to do something all day. You just can't just show up on Sundays. We do it to equip you so that you may love and care for others, but that love and care will always become, will always come in speaking the word of God because God's word is transformative. Why does God send us to preach? Why does God send us to witness? Not because of us, be because of the word spoken by us. I mean, it's just incredible that you can be a part of changing and transforming someone else's life because God gives you the words of life. But you'll never know what happens next if you don't know those words because you, you'll be ignoring what matters most and you'll be ignoring the fact that the what is the who. And when he speaks, we're called to listen and to speak back to others. Uh, lastly, in the passage, uh, Paul talks about his efforts, his ambitions. Uh, verse 20, he said, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was made known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, it is written... Those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have been hindered from coming to you. Paul said his ambition isn't just to do what everyone else is doing. His ambition isn't uh, just uh, to preach to those who are friendly and who want to hear the word. His ambition isn't to go to people who are easy. What's his ambition? His ambition in life is to do something different. See, this is, this is the powerful thing. Uh, Paul talks earlier about powers and wonders. I think it happens when we say to God, show me something new. Give me the eyes to see 
give me the power to do. Let me do something different. I don't want to do what everyone else is doing. God has made you unique. You have something to offer. Don't look to do what everybody else is doing. Look at what God has given you. And be ambitious about it. Be willing to fail. Paul says, my ambition is to do something different. It's to do something greater. I don't want to just stand on the shoulders of other people. I want to do something bigger so that others can stand on my shoulders. How many of you aim short in life? I mean, really, I want you to think about it. How many of you, you, you aim short, you aim small. And then at your, the end of your lives, you'll ask the question, it didn't seem like much. Why is that? Paul was bold. He was looking to and wanting to and did something greater. He went where Peter never went. He went where John never went. He kept pushing the bounds as far as he could. He left Jerusalem. He left pretty much the Middle East. He started making routes into Spain and because he wanted more. He wanted greater. He wanted to do whatever he could do and go as far as he could go, as far as God would take him. His ambition was to do something different, something greater, and something harder. We still have some of the posters around here that says do hard things. The hard things are the best things. They really are. Hard things will show you greater things. And the thing is, if you can't do the hard things, then when hard times come in life, you'll fall apart. Doing hard things helps you during hard times. Doing hard things strengthens your character. Not running, but being willing to stand. God does something in us when we do that. God transforms us. Let me close uh, by some words of a prominent uh, preacher who a number of years ago was preaching to a a group of um, young people. And he was preaching outside, and it was cold, and it was raining. And um, just as he began to preach, the wind came and blew his notes all over the place, and so he stopped and gathered them up and um and then once he had them he just stopped and prayed quietly to himself just to get his composure back and then he said these words three weeks ago we got word at our church that ruby ellison and laura edwards had been killed in cameroon ruby was over 80 single all her life She poured it out for one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, 
pushing 80 years old and in su- in serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. The brakes failed, the car went over the cliff, and they were both killed instantly. And I asked my people, were their lives wasted? Is this story nothing more but a sad tragedy of two old ladies who wasted their lives in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing at the wrong time? The crowd seemed hesitant, almost a little confused. But a few people in the back of the audience yelled back, no. No, the preacher echoed. That is not a tragedy. But I'll tell you what is. He then pulled out out a page from a traveling magazine and read, Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda in Florida where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. He continued, the American dream, come to the end of your life, your one and only life, and the last great work before you, as you give an account to your creator, will be, I collected shells. Lord, see my shells. The preacher was John Piper, and it's what was one of his famous sermons called um, The Seashell Sermon. What happens next? It really should be about what matters most. And you'll know that by turning to whom matters most. Think about what you're living for. Most people my age, they're living nervously for retirement. And I'll be honest, I can never get this. They're living for making sure they have enough money so that they can enjoy their assisted living. And will have a proper, dignified place to sit and drool. I'm not worried about where I'm going to sit when I drool. I won't know and won't care. What I want is to make sure when I look back, I knew what mattered most. And I did what was to happen next because I knew who mattered most. You see, that's, that's the deal. Some of you in your own lives right now are thinking, I don't like my life. This isn't the way I planned it. I feel like I'm just spinning my wheels, that I didn't get the dream. And I don't know what's next. But you don't know what's next because you really haven't added, asked what matters most. You haven't embraced the fact that the what is who. Because when you do, that's when life begins. 
that's when your direction becomes clear and your ambitions become holy passions. And at the end of your lives, you will look back and say, I had a good run. Might not have gotten as far as I really would have liked to for the Lord, but I had a good run. And I promise you, you won't have any regrets. I promise you. I have seen people who have done it. I have sat by their bedsides as they were dying, and there were no regrets. And I've sat by the bedsides of people who haven't. And with panicked looks, looks on their faces have said to me, this is too early. There's still much more I have to do. And I know if I could give them 10 more years, they would still be in the same place 10 years later because they didn't embrace what matters most and didn't fully understand that the what is found in the who. Let's join our hearts together. Father, I thank you that you have filled each and every one of us with goodness. That you have given us knowledge and you have given us competence. And so because we know it came from you and therefore it must come back to you. Let us, Lord God, open our hearts and minds and surrender our lives to you so that the good you have filled us with would pour out that the knowledge you have given would allow that goodness to be directed in competent ways so that the who around us would be served by the who above us that we would find true satisfaction, that we would always know our direction, and that, Father, when the end of our lives come, we will know that we had a good run because we ran with you. We pray this in Christ's name.